0: Lifehouse, it is a blessing and an honor to join you on the first day of the week as we decide before anything else that we're going to accomplish this week, that we're going to give time to the Lord, right? That's what good stewardship looks like. Some of you weren't here last week, so you don't understand. But we're going to give our time to the Lord. We've already given our first fruits to the Lord as we received our offering. And I just honor you. I appreciate you. Um, As AJ said earlier, there's a lot of things that you could be doing today, a lot of other places you could be. Namely, uh, in bed still on this cold uh, January morning. And, uh, you know, I'm from Mississippi. So, which, you know, people in Tennessee think they're from the south. But you ain't from the south. There's still a lot of country down below us, okay? <laughs> and uh, we, don't, we don't get this kind of weather where I come from, but I've lived in Tennessee the majority of my life, so I'm just starting to get used to it, but not really. Go ahead and get your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 2. We'll get there in just a moment. I want to reiterate uh, from, something from <clears throat> our announcements and from A.J., this next Sunday, a week from today, Tim and Marcy Jones will be here, and they are incredible mm-hmm. children's evangelists. Now, listen, there is an old saying that says, "When the pastor's away, the people play." Listen, let's just let's just knock that up out of here, and you be at church next Sunday. Well, Pastor, too, I don't have any kids at home or in the kids' house, or it doesn't matter. You, if you are doing it right, and you need, yeah, you know, hopefully you are. Uh, there are spiritual sons and daughters all across this church that need you to begin investing in their life. Yeah, come on. come on, Let's, let's give the Lord thanks for allowing us to do that. So I encourage you to be here next week. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going we're gonna to hear from the Word. Listen, uh, a lot of people think kids' stuff and kids' services are cheesy Bible stories. And number one, that ain't true. And number two, you ain't been to kids' house lately. And number three, that ain't true. That ain't how it is, right? I ran out of things. But you just need to be here for that next week. And then on the 29th, I want to encourage you to be part of our business meeting that evening at 6 p.m. And then something very exciting is happening beginning in February. Our life groups are kicking off. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, Yesterday, we had our first men's breakfast of 2023. Had 30 men came and attended. And we ate bacon. And... Uh, Some sausage and eggs and more bacon I say we I didn't eat anything because i'm doing weight watchers as I published uh, To the world last week, Uh, but hey guess what i'm down four pounds, baby You can't tell it but I feel better about it Uh, Give me a couple of weeks and lord willing i'll continue strong Uh, Lord willing and kristen continuing to fix these meals that I love so very much. They're so good So good so tasty But life groups are something incredible uh, that we get to do and uh, we have a spring a summer and a fall semester and so so the question has to be asked why do we why do we do life groups we have sunday services we 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 do different things why why do we need to do something in addition to sunday services um what what if i told you uh, you know, we, we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. What if I told you that the Bible also tells us to get together outside of just a Sunday morning, right? So that's one reason why we do it. Uh, another reason why we do it is because real life change, as much as I love our Sunday morning times together, and while they can be, uh, while life change can be initiated in a Sunday morning service, I would submit to you that it cannot be completed or sustained in just... A Sunday service atmosphere, because real life change happens when we live in community with like minded believers and we do life together and we grow from one another. You know, the first problem in the Bible was not sin, it was not the eating of the fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. The, the first problem in the Bible was isolation, it was isolation. And so today, so, well, let me say it like this. Last, or two weeks ago, we jumped into this series called Rhythms, where two weeks ago we talked about the rhythm of prayer and how if we want to live in rhythm with the life that God has for us, prayer has to be not an every once in a while or every time I need something, thing that I do, but rather prayer has to be a daily, consistently, multiple times a day even, part of my life. Last week, we talked about stewardship, how we take care of what God's given us, how we take care of the money that he's entrusted to us, how we take care of the time on this planet that he's given us, our possessions, our families, our bodies, our bodies, right? Those things matter. They matter because everything God has given to us, he's given to us not so that we can squander, but so that we can invest everything that we have in this world into the world that is to come. And so today I want to talk about the rhythm of community. Because as I just said, the first problem in Scripture was not sin. It was isolation. It was, it was loneliness. Everything that God created, He said afterwards about it, it is good. He said, let there be light, and it is good. He said, let there be... Um, I can't. I don't know what the NLT says. I know the uh, the King James calls it the firmament, the 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 earth, the creation, and he said it's good. He said let let fish uh, be in the seas, and then he and then in the King James, this because I just remember it so much that all the creepy creeper things that creep along the creepy earth, you know things like that. That's KJV right there, baby. And then he looks at all the creepy things, <laughs> and he says it is good. He creates Adam. The, the Word tells us, I believe, in Genesis 2-6 that, that He said, let us make man in our own image. And then He, he stoops down into the, the dust of the earth and He forms man and He breathes the breath of life into him. So He creates Adam in the image of God, which is why every person on this planet is important. and Every life matters because they are created whether they know it or not, in the image of God. So when you talk negatively about somebody that you disagree with politically that you don't even know, and you, you attack them as a person, and you degrade them, and, or you look at somebody who follows a religion uh, con- that is in opposition to Christianity, and we, we, we bash them and we talk bad about them, the Lord would say to you, hey, 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 the only thing that's different between you and them is they don't know me yet. So don't speak of them as they are. Speak of them as they can be. Instead of dogging them, give them Jesus. Pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Because they too were created in the image of God. And so God looks at Adam and he says, this is good. But then in Genesis 2.18, if, if, if you're there in your Bible or on your phone, can I get an Amen. 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 Then the Lord said, it is not good The first time we find this phrase in the Bible it is not good for the man to be alone I will make a helper who is just right for him it is not good for the man to be alone just to reiterate here Adam lives in the only word I know to describe it is a utopia. He lives in the Garden of Eden, which is just paradise on this planet. He has direct, unadulterated access to God Almighty at any point in time when he so chooses to have access to him. He, he, I, I just want you, to, I, I want you to understand that Adam knew God on a level... That, that we, one day we will, but, but we don't right now. He, he, he was as close to a perfect existence as we can imagine. Yet the Lord still looks at him and he says, it's, this is not good. This is not good that he is alone. This is not good that he doesn't have anybody this is not good that he is living in isolation and so I have heard it said by people with good intentions but bad theology oh me and God that's all I need me and God that's enough I don't need the church me and God i got I got Jesus and he's got me so we're good you know I don't I don't need the, I don't need a pastor i don't I don't need to be part of a, a life group well can I just tell you that According to God himself, you're wrong. According to the scriptures themselves, you in fact do need people. And and this is what's wild to me. You and God are not enough. It's crazy to me that God, this this is wild, that God's not enough for me. That God's not enough for you. It almost sounds like I am in heresy right now, doesn't it? But I'm not because I didn't come up with this idea. Right here in the very first few pages of the Bible, God establishes the truth that you and I were not created for isolation. We were not designed to live alone or to do life alone. We were designed to need other people in our lives. We were designed to live in community. And so if we live outside of God's design for community, our prayer life might be good. We might be generous people, we may be good stewards, but there is still something that is out of whack and out of rhythm with the life that God has for us. There is something missing, and I would even submit to you this truth, that if, if, if your rhythm of community is out of whack, it is only a matter of time before that spills over into other areas of your life and begins to also negatively affected because we need each other to hold each other, to to hold each other accountable, to sharpen one another, to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to, to lift up one another. And if we do life without those people in our lives, it is only a matter of time before the other areas of our life begin to suffer because we don't have that person or we don't have those people in our life to push us, to hold us, to help us sometimes even to hurt us a little bit. God designed us to live in community. There's no way around it. Well, Pastor Drew, you don't know what the church has done to me. Uh, Let me say this. I don't know what that church did to you. I don't know what those churches did to you. And in no way do I undermine somebody who has received some sort of abuse, spiritual abuse, verbal abuse, whatever kind of abuse from spiritual leaders or churches. That is not the intent of my heart in this moment. But at the end of the day, the only reason the world has any representation of Jesus is because of his church, which is his body on this earth. And you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and not be part of the people of Christ. They are, That is that those ideas do not work. So Father. I pray that you would give me a tender heart. To communicate a few difficult truths. God that you would give us receptive spirits. To receive all that you have for us. And that Father that you would help me in this moment. To lay aside. My personality. My preferences, my biases, anything that would inhibit your ability to speak with clarity, with love, and with truth. And that, Lord, I would be nothing more than a messenger speaking the message of the King to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we show our love for Jesus one more time? Yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying this series, uh, but not because I like it, rather because I need it. You, you know what I'm saying? I, 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 um, preaching to me is, is not, and for, for good preachers, I would say this is the same way. Not that I consider myself good, but... But for me, preaching is very much a journey and it's very much an overflow in my life from what the Lord is doing in my life. It's very difficult for me to preach about things or topics or situations that I cannot personally relate to or the Lord isn't personally dealing with me with. That doesn't mean that I can't talk about things that he has dealt with me about in the past, but in this series of talks, uh, to be very transparent with you, uh, this is very much every single week. I kind of ha- I know the topics in advance I already know where we're going to be in a few weeks. I haven't written the messages yet uh, so far, I'm just writing them the week of. And honestly, just like yeah, as I write, as I pray, as I study the scriptures, it's very much a journey for me personally in receiving the the tender conviction of the Holy Spirit. Okay, cool, cool. It's good to see you this morning too. Um, so anyway, with that all in mind, um, I I needed to hear this message this week as well. I said that about last week's, and to be very honest with you, I needed to hear last week's a lot more than I needed to hear this week's. But I still needed to hear this week's as well. Uh, I, I just... I have this feeling that, that we have, as a society, this isn't about individual people, but as we, we as a society, we have traded people for posts, right? Come on. Yeah. come on, we've traded likes for doing life together. Come on, I worked hard on getting these to start with the same letter. I need some help. <laughs> you try that. It's not easy. Now, the next one isn't the same letter. Oh, it is, it is. We've traded, come on, you'll like this, Brooke. We've traded community for content consumption. And, and, and if, if content consumption were enough, if, if scrolling this phone and receiving information and watching videos of people doing things, if that were enough we as a society would be the most mentally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally people to ever live on planet earth because we have instant access to other people in a way that prior generations literally could not have imagined. We have more information in our pocket right now than than prior generations attained in their entire lifetime so if content consumption if it was enough right we would be healthy we would be whole we would have our our minds would not suffer from anxiety or fear or depression. Our, our bodies would be more healthy as a result of having a healthy mind. Our spirits would feel fulfillment and purpose because of all the content that we are able to partake of and to receive. Our relationships would flourish because at any point it, it, during the day I have instant access to anybody in this room just from a phone number or f- as a Facebook friend. If, if it was enough, if all of these things were enough, we would be healthier than anybody, any other generation to ever live on planet earth. But I don't think this will come as a surprise to you. The argument could be made very easily that instead of being the healthiest people to ever exist, we might actually be the unhealthiest society to ever exist. And the reason why is because God designed us for community, not for consumption. At the end of the day. And I'm not here to preach against technology. I love technology. I use technology to my advantage all the time. I'm preaching literally from an iPad right now. That's where I put my notes. Please don't undo that. (laughs) I'm not here to preach against the internet. I'm not here to preach against social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Okay, maybe I'm here to preach a little bit against Twitter. (laughs) I'm not here to preach against smartphones. From this phone right here, I can control my grill, which cooks my briskets. I love this thing. (laughs) But I'm here today to tell you, and I don't think this is new information, but maybe it's information that we need to receive and actually do something about. I'm here today to tell you that we as a society and we as a church, we have a problem. Sociologists did a study and they discovered that one out of four people do not have two close friends. We have thousands of Facebook friends. We have hundreds of followers, right? We we have incredible access to so many people. I mean, in my phone alone, I have four or 500 contacts of people that I could call, that I could text, and I really don't do that that much. I usually call or text like 10, but, but nonetheless, I'm not the exception, I'm the norm. I have all these connections, yet I live, or at least I'm so easily tempted to live, disconnected. I mean we know this. We 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 see we've seen the pictures, we we've experienced ourselves. We we sit down with our family to take a, to eat a meal and we just do this. You know, we eat, we scroll, we've mastered the one-hand phone trick, you know, we can do everything. I have to buy literally, I don't buy the big phones because my hands are small, so I use I get the small phones so I can do them one-handed and get a fork to my mouth at the same time. You know, we go out to eat with friends and If we're not careful before we know it, we'll all be sitting there looking at our phones, liking each other's posts from earlier. We'll be so consumed by trying to get the perfect picture of the food and the person that, that we miss out on the opportunity to grow in community with one another because we are addicted to, to getting the likes, to posting the content, to feeling that euphoria of knowing that we have been seen by people that, that we, we haven't seen in 18 years, but hey, they liked my post, and that makes me feel good. Have you ever... Uh, seen a post on social media that from a person, and they haven't posted in a long time, and you think, I forgot that I knew them. Or they like, you you know, it's your birthday, and they they post on your your wall, or I don't know what it's called anymore. Is it still a wall? I don't know. And they, whatever, and they say, happy birthday, and you go, oh yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I remember them. I haven't seen them in three years. We have no relationship to speak of whatsoever, but hey, we're Facebook friends, and that's cool. But, We don't have close friends, or at least as a society, close friends are an anomaly. The the thing is, though, that from the beginning of creation, God let us know you need other people in your life. And this is also true, not just from the beginning of creation, but from the beginning of the church. You go to Acts chapter 2, and and Acts chapter 2 is kind of where we see the birthplace of the Christian church post the ascension of Jesus. And in verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And, everybody say the word and. And And to fellowship. And, everybody say "and." and. To sharing in meals. And to prayer. This wasn't necessarily solo prayer either. This was prayer as they were fellowshipping and eating. Then they prayed. Verse 43 says, A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. I mean, when, let me just, and I'm, I'm, I'm not casting stones here. I'm, I'm more so just making a point. When is the last time you partook of the Lord's Supper, not in a church, but at your home with people hanging out with you? Can I just be honest with you? I don't know that I've ever done that. And I would venture to say very few in this room, if any, have done it as well. They worshiped together. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy and generosity. All while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's amazing how much growth occurred in the first few weeks and months of the early church. Growing from a couple of hundred to 5,000, or to 3,000, then 5,000, and then far beyond. And it wasn't because of their amazing worship teams. It wasn't because of their cool blue lights, right? Can I tell you this? It wasn't even because of good preaching, It was because the believers lived life in such a way that other people saw it and said, I want what they have. I need what they have. And the Lord added to their fellowship, not not to their Sunday morning service, but the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And this was so much more than a one to two hour service on a Sunday morning. That is even assuming that you come to church consistently because the average church member only comes two out of every four Sundays to begin with. This was a rhythm of doing life together consistently. Not once or twice a week. Not once or twice a month. But all the time. The phrase one another. And this will vary depending on the translation that you're using. But the phrase one another is found about 59, 60 times throughout the entire New Testament. It's incredibly important. Or at least it was incredibly important to God. Even from the moment creation started. As well from the moment the church took off that we were shown how important we are to one another. Because as much as we would like to believe that God is enough, He Himself is showing to us that He created us in such a way that He wouldn't be enough. It was His design that He wouldn't be enough for us. Rather, He designed us in such a way that we would crave community. And that we would grow from doing life with one another. And just like everything seems to do, uh, something shifted as time went on. You guys okay? I'm teaching a lot today and I know that I'm not being loud, but I have a second service to preach. And so, you know, that is what it is. (laughs) Something changed as time went on and they began to fall out of rhythm. And, And we do that. That happens to us. Did you know that the less you pray, the easier it is to pray less? The less you, you know, this is going back to last week, the less you choose to be a good steward or to, to choose generosity over selfishness, the, the easier it is to continue to, to choose to not be a good steward. And the less you come to church the easier it is to stop coming to church. Because if you miss a Sunday, you kind of, you know, you miss something. But if you miss two Sundays in a row, you don't feel it as much. And before you know it in three to four weeks, you don't even care if you go back anymore because you've fallen out of rhythm and you don't know what you're missing and so you don't come. You don't miss it. And so this is why I think the writer of Hebrews writes to us and they say, let us Think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. Um, I heard a comedian say this one time, and it's, it's, hilarious, it's a hilarious bit, but there's also a little bit of truth to it. He was talking about how there are instructions on a packet of Pop-Tarts. There are. And the first instruction is to remove the Pop-Tart from the pouch. As if some, somebody out there one day just ate the whole thing, pouch and all, right? Because the only reason you ever see an instruction label or a warning label is because somebody did what that, those instructions or what that warning is trying to keep them from doing, right? And so with that thought in mind, the only reason the writer of Hebrews is telling us to not neglect the meeting together of ourselves is because there are people in the church Who have come to the false conclusion that them and God is enough when in fact that is not true? Let us not neglect the meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of the Lord is drawing near. It's so easy, it's so easy to get out of rhythm. It's so easy to fall off the wagon, right? You know, I I joke, but I'm sincere. My wife and I, we're we're counting calories. we're, We're trying to eat well. And I have to be careful because I'm the guy that if I start the day out and I just, let's say I go to Bojangles to get me a chicken biscuit. Can I get a witness in the house today? And then I drive by Panera and I see Julie and I get me a cinnamon crunch bagel with with some cream cheese and i go home and i eat that i will tell myself well i've already i've already messed up i might as well i might as well just go all in and then i'll wake up the next morning and i'll try to eat some oatmeal with blueberries and i'll say this is nasty i don't want this i want i want i want a bagel i want a chicken biscuit i want some pancakes right it's so easy to allow one moment of inconsistency to totally throw us off course from the life that God has for us. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to be at church every single Sunday. If you go on vacation, hey, you just just send me a postcard, you know, offer to take me with you, whatever, that's fine. You know, like if you go to Hawaii, listen, I better at least get a make-believe invitation, okay? If you're going to Disney World, you just have fun. I don't want to go there. Uh, Too many people is too hot. But anyway, I'm not telling you you've got to be at church every single Sunday but I am telling you that if you allow yourself to choose the ease of just sitting in the house or sleeping in for no other reason than I just don't feel like going you are setting yourself up for continued defeat as you willfully throw yourself out of the rhythm that God has for your life. And so we are we're called to not neglect when we come together and to encourage one another. Because listen, this world is hard, life is not easy. There is so much outside that seeks to discourage. And to tear down. And the writer of Hebrews, even though they wrote this 2,000 years ago, they are experiencing the exact same thing in their world. And they are saying to the people, you need each other to strengthen, to encourage, to build up. And I think, especially these last few years, so many of us, and this is so funny. Because I'm preaching to people who chose on a 20-degree day to get up and come to the early service at Lifehouse. So it's like I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak. But I think we all would still benefit from hearing it. So many of us have lost the rhythm of together. And we have made the decision to come sporadically. And we tell ourselves things like, oh, I'm just going to watch online today. I'll just catch the podcast later this week. Listen, I am thankful for technology. But content consumption is no substitute for the community of faith. Amen. Listening to, to a sermon. I don't care if it's my sermon, Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, or whoever your favorite preacher is besides me because I know I'm number one. That's right. That's right. Appreciate those courtesy Cheers. Listening to a sermon is not the same as going to a church and being part of a vibrant community of faith. Showing up three out of four Sundays or two out of four Sundays is not the same as being plugged into a church. I love you, but let me just say this. Walking in as soon or even after church begins Getting your coffee and coming and finding a seat and then choosing to leave the moment Dawn stops playing or I say amen is not the same as being plugged into a life-giving community of believers. It's not the same. You sang some songs and you no doubt worship the Lord and hopefully you heard something from this platform that inspires you and challenges you and helps build up your life. But... You will notice in Acts chapter 2 where we read that the apostles' teaching was only a small part of everything that was listed as part of what the church looked like. And so when you show up late and leave early, can I tell you, I'm glad you're here and I want you to keep coming. But you are missing out on so much that the Lord has for you. Because coming to church is not about hearing a message or singing some songs. It is about plugging in to the body of Christ. And listen, and if you regularly watch online, I'm looking at the camera right now. If you come occasionally, but not consistently, I am not here to beat you up. It is not my desire to make you feel bad. That is not my goal. That is not my heart. I'm not mad at you, I'm not angry about it, I'm not offended. I love you, and as your pastor, I want what is best for you, and even if you don't know it, I know that the best thing for you is to get back into the rhythm of community, to make it a priority, not an option. To make getting together with other believers on a regular basis not something that, you know, you fit in around all the other life that you do. But rather, you choose to fit in all the other life that you do around what God has called you to make important. And, and if I can just sound like an, an old man complaining about the world... We, we went from a society, and we did this very quickly. We went to, from a society that valued church attendance. And so Sundays and Wednesdays were always reserved. And this is not a dig at society. Because listen, I don't expect people who do not know the Lord to act as if they do. But rather, this is a rebuke to the church who allowed the changes of society to change them. And so we chose to deprioritize, I don't know if that's the word, but it is this morning, being in church with one another because we had kids who had ball games. And we had sons who were traveling to play baseball. And we had daughters who were traveling to play volleyball. Oh, now I'm preaching. You know, we had things that were more important. And you would say, well, pastor, I'm not saying that those things are more important than church. Well, verbally, you may not be saying that. But by the way you choose to prioritize your calendar and live your life, you are saying that. Because, hey, at the end of the day, talk is cheap. I can say anything. But how I live is another story. You guys okay? Jesus said, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. You know what that shows me? We don't believe Jesus when we choose to not gather with other believers. We devalue the words of Christ himself because if we really believed it, we would want to experience it as often as possible. So, a couple of truths, and I will move quickly here. So if you're taking notes, get ready. To remind us why we need to have a rhythm of community. Number one, everyone needs someone. Everyone needs someone. Here's a few, here's a few for you. Everyone needs someone who really knows me. Everyone needs someone who really knows, knows me. It is impossible to have genuine relationships if you are not a genuine person. And so what so many of us choose to do is we live behind a projection of this reality that we wish that were true. And so we project it in such a way, hoping that people will see that and think that we are someone that we are not. And so instead of being genuine, instead of being authentic, we project success. We project competence. We project perfection. We, and, and then we get on social media and we post our projections, right? We get the right angles. We, you know, we try to take pictures of our kids and we scream and yell at them and you know kick them I mean not me but you know other parents would and we tell them to be quiet shut up and sit down and let me take it now smile let me get this picture of you listen if you don't stop doing that I'm gonna you're gonna live outside for the rest of the week and and I mean I don't I've never said that to my children I don't know about you I mean I know Wendy told me that's what she says to her kids she owns it. No, I didn't say that. And, uh, and then we, you know, we take the picture, and then we get on Instagram or Facebook, and we talk about how much we love our family. And, like, look at my beautiful babies. They're so amazing. And, like, listen, if you ain't doing that, you ain't parenting right. Okay, first and foremost. <laughs> but we try to project these pictures of of a reality that doesn't actually exist because we want people to think that we're better than we are. And because we desire for people to think that we are better than we are, nobody really knows us. Nobody knows our struggles. Nobody knows our problems. Many of you probably walked in this morning having a fight with your spouse or an argument with your kids and you walk in and you smile real big and and you see AJ, and AJ says, how you doing? And you go, I'm blessed and highly favor of the Lord. you say, man. I mean, if you did that at LifeHouse, you're crazy. Like, we don't talk like that around here. I've never understood people to talk like that. I, like, if you, anyway. Can I just tell you, there is nothing more isolating than living a fake life. And it is so lonely to feel like nobody really knows you. And, and I know that because I've done that. I know that because I've lived that. God can't bless who you pretend to be. There's a a great lesson to be learned from the life of Jacob, whose twin brother was Esau. And one day, Jacob is convinced by his mom to go steal Esau's blessing from their father, Jacob. And so he puts on clothes, or he puts on a, a garment of animal skin because Esau was very hairy, and Jacob was like me and had very little hair on his arms. <laughs> and, and he brings him some food and he, he touches his arm. And, he, and eventually what happens is Jacob says, who is this? And, or, or, or Isaac rather says, is this my son Esau? Because you sound like Jacob. And Jacob says, no, I'm Esau. He was living behind this false projection of who he was trying to be. To get something that wasn't his. And many years later, you can go read about this. There's a moment where Jacob is wrestling with God. I'd like to try that. I just, I just want to see. I just want to know. And they wrestled all night. And Jacob looks at the angel of the Lord and he says, bless me. And the angel of the Lord says, what's your name? And this was a callback to several years earlier, because what many don't know is the name Jacob means deceiver. And Jacob looks at the angel. Instead of lying or trying to be somebody that he's not, he says, my name is Jacob. And he says, no longer will you be known. As Jacob the deceiver, rather you will be known as Israel, the one who has fought with God and come out victorious. Because God can't bless what you continue to hide. God can't heal what you continue to hide. James tells us, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So that you may be healed. I fully believe that the moment you confess your sins to the Lord, you are forgiven. But I would also, be, also say to you that forgiveness and healing are two different things. Forgiveness happens with the Lord, but healing happens among the community of those who are devoted to the Lord. Everyone needs someone who will protect me. When I was 15 years old, um, I got into a let's just call it a verbal altercation with somebody at a Fred's parking lot. You guys remember Fred's, the store? Not, like not, not a guy named Fred, but the store called Fred's in a Fred's parking lot with a guy, I don't even know his name. He was bigger, he was stronger, he was older. Uh, he was all the things th- than me, but my friend Thomas and a few other of my buddies. Now, I'm not, th- I'm not saying this is how you should do things. Uh, I'm not suggesting this is a way for life, but I'll never forget the moment. I was scared, y'all. I was like, I'm about to get my rear end kicked. I wouldn't have said it like that, but that's how I'll say it today. <laughs> but my friend Thomas comes up behind me, and he says, man, I got your back. And I look back, and there was a few other of my buddies back there and said, we got your back. And thankfully, thank you, Jesus, there was no fight that night because once all my friends showed up, he walked away because it was just him by himself. Even though he could have taken me, I mean, like, he could have so taken me. But he couldn't take all five of us because everyone needs someone who will protect them. Hey, look at your neighbor right now and tell them, I got your back. Come on, look at your other neighbor that you don't like and tell them, I got your back we got to have each other's back in this room to encourage, to protect, to pray for, because life is too hard to do this thing alone. Everyone needs someone who will be real with me. Proverbs 27 tells us, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. See, Here's the thing, we all have blind spots in our life. And I don't care how old you are, I don't care how mature of a believer you are, I don't care how wise or smart you are, we all have blind spots. Go read the, the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia. And there's a moment in there, this is so cool and funny to me. Paul talks about Peter and how Peter started to favor Jewish Christians over Gentile Christians. And the word, or Paul says, I withstood him to the face. In other words, I got up in his grill. And I called him out for what he was doing. And I corrected him, not from a place of anger and hate, but from a place of love and sincerity. And we need people in our lives who will see something in us that we do not see ourselves. And because they love us, not because they're in competition with us, but because they love us, they take the time and the energy to point out to us that we, what we cannot see. And these kinds of relationships take time and trust and consistency to build I'm not talking about the stranger who just met you and says, Oh, I have a word from the Lord for you. And I mean, that could happen, and I'm not discrediting that. But it means the most when it comes from somebody who has relational equity in your life. At the end of the day, here's the truth. We are all one decision away from doing something stupid. Right? And we need close friends. We need mentors. We need Pastors and leaders in our lives who will be real with us when we need it. Everyone needs someone who will grow me. Your relationship choices are the most important decisions that you will ever make. Not your major in college. In fact, I've come to the conclusion that that's pretty much irrelevant. (laughs) I mean, I guess unless you're like a doctor or something. And even then I have my doubts. That's a joke. Your relationship choices are the most important decisions you will ever make. We've all heard this saying, so I'm not the author of it. The saying is, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Proverbs says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. It goes on in, in chapter 13, and it says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. And you are becoming more and more like the people you choose to spend time with. So ask yourself this question as you think about your relationships or even your lack of relationships. Am I becoming sharper and stronger or or am I growing duller and weaker? And so much of this is the result of who you hang out with. So everyone needs someone, but guess what? Someone needs you. Someone needs you. Someone needs you to know them. Someone needs you to protect them. You know when you hear that gossiping news about that person, instead of furthering the problem by spreading the gossip, You stop it right then and there and choose to protect that person because you've got their back. Because if the roles were reversed, you would want them to do the same for you, right? Everyone need or someone needs you to be real with them. Someone needs you to love them enough to risk the relationship to show them what they cannot see themselves. And everyone needs someone, and someone needs you to grow them. I believe there are two great human desires. Maybe there are more, but the philosophy of Drew Moorhead says there are two. (laughs) The first one is we all have the desire to belong, to be part of something. And secondly, we have the desire to matter. To to know that our life means something. And those two desires are woven with one another. They cannot be separated. Because the only way you can matter is if you belong. And the only way you can belong is if you matter to somebody. And they matter to you. There's no greater purpose on this planet than to live A life that makes a difference in somebody else's life. So, take a moment. I know I've gone long, so forgive me for that. But I'm getting I'm getting close. Take a moment and think about the people in your life that have made a great impact in your life. Chances are, they're not exceptionally wealthy. They're probably not famous. They probably don't possess any spectacular skills or abilities. Chances are they are just someone in your life who has made you, catch this, feel loved and highly valued. That's probably what they've done for you. And for that reason, they're a hero to you. Arlo's sitting right over there in this room. As a man that over the last few years, but specifically over the last year, that I have grown to just have an absolute love and appreciation for. Not because he possesses any amazing singular abilities, although I'm sure he's great at a lot of things and preparing large quantities of bacon is one of them. (laughs) But because regularly on a weekly basis he knocks on my door he walks in my office and he says hey can I bother you for a moment to which I respond Arlo anytime you come to see me you're not bothering me and he proceeds to encourage to inform sometimes even to challenge me but he always instills value into me love you Arlo Arlo Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. We can't share burdens with one another if we don't know one another. And we won't know one another as long as we continue to protect one another's image. Essentially, the law of Christ is to choose to love others the way Jesus has loved you and when we fulfill this law of Christ to love others the way Jesus has loved us it's at that moment according to Acts 2 when lives are changed when families will be impacted when communities will be transformed and that's when we truly become the church that God destined for us to be the church that literally changes the world for Jesus Everybody needs somebody. And somebody needs you. I want to invite you to stand this morning. Now the reason why these members of our prayer team are at the altar today is because I would imagine that in a room with this many people in it, somebody in this room today is in need Of something from the Lord now instead of inviting you to the altar because you want to make a commitment to live in community how about today we take the opportunity to partake in community with one another the scriptures tell us Jesus says himself where two or three are gathered there I am in the midst of them so today Lifehouse Church I don't necessarily know what your need is but i know that there is a god in heaven who wants to act on your behalf and i know that there is a man or woman at this altar who wants to gather with you to see the lord move in your life and act on your behalf so today maybe you need healing in your body maybe you need the lord to bless you financially maybe you need you maybe you need a friend Maybe, maybe you're one of the one out of four people who don't even have two close friends, and your prayer today is, Lord, I need a friend. I need someone to see me, to know me. I need that. Can I tell you the Lord wants to help you, and he wants to bring people in your life. Maybe you're discouraged. I don't know. I could go on and on and on because the needs are real and they are numerous. So today, as we respond to the plea of our hearts to initiate and to maintain a rhythm of community in our lives, instead of talking about it and shaking our heads and amening, if you need someone to join with you, how about let's just do so as a display of community because these men and women are ready and they want to partner with you. They want to hug your neck or put hands on your shoulders, anoint you and believe God with you and for you. So today, if you have a need, Whatever it is, however small, however big, I want to invite you to step out from where you are to find one of our prayer team members and to join hands with them as they pray for you as we come together in community this morning. You can come now.